Welcome back to another episode of the Real Talk on Women's Health podcast with Essentia Health. I'm back with Dr. Andrea Lays, a gynecologist at Essentia Health. Now, this is part two of a special conversation about perimenopause. So if you missed part one, go listen to that wherever you get your podcasts and then circle back to this. But Dr. Lays, let's hop right in. I want to talk about how you address the impact of perimenopause on emotional well-being. What can we do as women during that time to protect our minds? That's another great question. I think think first off, we have to do things like this. We have to remove the veil about menopause and perimenopause. We have to talk about it. We have to support each other during this time. We need to realize that perimenopause is a natural part of our lives. The symptoms that we're going through, while they may not be easy or fun, that they're physiologic and part of that journey. So I think supporting each other is very important. I think recognizing for ourselves that, no, I'm not crazy. This is actually happening. I think communicating with those around us, you know, if, if you have a a partner that you live with or a spouse that you live with or a best friend that you are living with, you really need to communicate with that person and tell them what's going on. Again, we have to remove the stigma about it. Even just with like your monthly cycle, sometimes guys, and I'm not trying to come at any guys, but they don't want to hear about it. But it's like, <laughs> it is a normal thing. You know, every every woman goes through it. So you just got to embrace it and don't make any jokes about it either because we don't <laughs> like that. Um, so how do you educate patients about long-term health implications of perimenopause? Because it is just a trans transitional phase. So are there long-term health implications that people should be aware about? Um, I don't think for the perimenopause time specifically, but certainly once you've entered menopause, which again is just no periods for one year, your ovaries have completely stopped producing that estrogen hormone. We know that once you've reached that point, that's when bone loss really starts to accelerate. So doing whatever you can to protect your bone mass during the perimenopause years will help you during that time of accelerated bone loss in menopause. And so that's things like weight-bearing exercise, So something as simple as walking or doing some lunges or some squats, that can help protect you from bone loss. Making sure that you get calcium and vitamin D in your diet, drinking milk, eating yogurt, eating cheese. For those of us in maybe a less sunny part of the world, such as where we live, um, maybe a vitamin D supplement is the right way to go um, because we know vitamin D comes from sunlight and sometimes we're missing out on that. So I think that can be really helpful as well. And doing whatever we can to minimize our risk for heart disease, minimize our risk for stroke, minimize our our risk for um, cancer, keeping our weight in check, keeping our diet in check, keeping our exercise going. I think all those things are very helpful. Yeah. And things that hopefully, you know, we're already doing, but I know that nobody's perfect. So this is kind of a touchy subject for some people, but I do want to ask, do you discuss like contraception or family planning during perimenopause? Like how does that impact somebody who's maybe trying to start a family? Absolutely. We do need to talk about that. That's very important. So I tell my patients the chance of pregnancy when you're starting to have irregular cycles due to perimenopause definitely is less. Um, In addition, for those of us in our mid to late 40s, even if we were to conceive, the chance of a complication such as miscarriage is as high as 50%. Um, So we have to be realistic. If I have a patient who's in her mid or later 40s who's looking to grow her family, I want to be realistic with her about what the options are and what that could potentially entail. We do have medications to help increase ovulation to help you conceive, but we don't have anything to reduce the risk of miscarriage in that setting. So some of the options that patients may look into is working with an infertility specialist to do something like in vitro fertilization, and they may want to use something called donor eggs, 
where they're using eggs from another person, or they may want to do something called pre-implantation genetics, where you can test the embryo before you implant in the uterus to increase your risk of having a healthy pregnancy. Now, obviously that's a big conversation. I think what I hear more commonly is women in their mid to upper 40s saying, I don't want to get pregnant, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to take a birth control anymore. So what can I do? I think in those situations, it makes great sense to do a sterilization procedure, whether it's removing the patient's fallopian tubes or her partner having a vasectomy. I think that's a very, very um, great way to protect against pregnancy. Also, if I have a patient who's having irregular periods during that time, one option that I really love is the hormone-containing intrauterine device. It offers excellent um, prevention for pregnancy, but also helps treat that menstrual concern that women have. So I think that's a nice option too. So it isn't just, it's never going to happen if you want to be pregnant, but we have to be realistic and honest. But also it's, oh my gosh, I can't imagine being pregnant at 48. What can we do? Yeah, both sides of the spectrum. You mentioned earlier perimenopause, it can strike as early as 30s. I'm assuming late 30s for women. Yeah, I think the average age of menopause in the United States is 51.3. The average time of perimenopause transition in the United States is about four years. So it tends to strike in the later 40s, but there's a wide distribution there. I've had patients in their 30s who are having symptoms like irregular periods and hot flushes and night sweats and everything to me that seems like perimenopause. And we do a workup and everything is coming back normal. And it's like, gosh, it just seems like maybe your ovaries are just not ovulating as well as they should. And can we call that perimenopause? Maybe. I think what we call it in women who aren't of the proper age, I think we call it ovulatory dysfunction, but it's really another name for the same thing. If your ovaries aren't working as well. I think in that population, this set of treatment options is a little bit different because that population may want to get pregnant um, more readily, or that population may be more concerned about the risk of pregnancy. And that may be a more real concern for them. So again, just tailoring it to each specific patient, I think is important. Is it like dangerous if you do go into perimenopause earlier than average? Does that mean like something's really off with your health or is it literally just like different for every single person and don't look too much into it? I don't know that I would use the word dangerous. I think I would use the word frustrating um, because the symptoms can be really uncomfortable for patients and really annoying for lack of a better word. Um, We do know that women who stop producing hormones at a younger age. So let's say you stop having periods at age 40 or you have your ovaries removed for some reason at a younger age. We know that those women are at an increased risk of heart attack, stroke and dementia at younger ages and may even have a shortened lifespan by as much as six years. And so for those patients, we typically will get them started on some kind of hormone therapy regimen to help protect against some of those complications that can happen from early menopause. It's hard to say how much that transition time plays into that role, but we have really good evidence that says that once your ovaries shut down, if the earlier it happens, the earlier the complications of menopause can happen. It does sound like though, because I'm kind of a hypochondriac and I kind of freak myself out that when you go through perimenopause, based on what you've said, there's just so many treatment options and so many things you can do based on your symptoms. It's not like a, it's not like the end of the world type of thing. So that's good to keep in mind. That's the message that we should leave our listeners with today. Menopause and perimenopause, they're not the end of the world. There is help available. Yeah. I'm going to remind myself of that (laughs) because I was telling you, I am the worst at diagnosing myself with things and it's, it's not good. But um, because this is the Real Talk and Women's Health podcast, we ask people to send in questions um, that they might have for certain um, doctors. So we do have a question from some somebody who's 10 years post hysterectomy. And then they also had a gastric bypass surgery 13 years ago. And they want to know if estrogen will help them lose the belly weight because that's a big problem for them. They can't really lose any weight, um, even though they're still following their bariatric routine. Yeah, that's a tough one. And again, 
I'm going to go back to the conversation we had where we got to find the right hormone option for the right patient. We know as we're learning more about hormones that the biggest risk for patients who go on hormone therapy is to start it when you're further than 10 years out from the start of menopause, which is when your ovaries shut down. And so I think for this patient, I'd want to know when you went through your hysterectomy, did you have your ovaries removed or not? If she had her ovaries removed 10 years ago, I'm going to be a little hesitant about starting her on hormones now because she's been a decade without them. And now to start them increases her risk for complication. If this patient did not have her ovaries removed at the time of her hysterectomy, she just had her uterus removed and maybe her ovaries just recently shut down in the last few years. I definitely think hormone therapy may be an option to help her with her metabolism. I don't think estrogen is a weight loss medication, but it may stabilize some of those things to help the efforts that you're doing work a little better. Is estrogen something that is like a common treatment for perimenopause or just for women that want to lose weight or do you use estrogen often when you're treating patients? Like what is it for? Because I hear about it all the time, but I guess I don't really know what it does. Yeah. So estrogen is not a weight loss drug. Um, There is an explosion of new medications that have been shown to help patients lose weight. Estrogen is not one of those medications. Estrogen in its simplest terms is the hormone that our ovaries naturally make that is involved with functions for women's physiology head to toe. Specifically, it's involved in regulating our menstrual cycle, but it's also involved in other things such as our hair growth, how our skin skin looks, um, our metabolism. It's involved in so many different things, sexual function. Absolutely. So if I have a patient who is having concerns with, you know, I'm, I'm losing my hair, I'm having increased acne. Uh, my periods are all over the place. Those are things that maybe estrogen can help with specifically though, for weight loss, if it's just, I can't lose this last 10 pounds. I'm wondering if estrogen is going to be the magic bullet. Sadly, the answer is no. I don't think that it is a magic bullet. Maybe it'll help streamline your metabolism a little bit, help it be at its most efficient way, but it hasn't been consistently shown to do that. Yeah. And like we've been talking about, I feel like there is something for everybody. So maybe estrogen's not going to be for you, but it sounds like there's just so many different options, which gives me relief for every <laughs> single person um, that has um, a symptom of perimenopause. So before we wrap things up, I know we just said, you know, what you want to leave listeners with, but what is something that you want listeners to know about perimenopause? Because I know when I knew that we were doing this podcast, I was excited to learn about it, but I I was also scared because it can be very scary and intimidating, but what's um, something that you want listeners to know about it? I think it's really important for listeners to know that while they may be very nervous about it, scared about it, unwilling to talk about it, want to be in denial about it, trust me, your provider isn't. Your gynecologist isn't. We want to talk about this with you. We want to help you live your best life and we want to help you make that very natural journey into menopause as comfortable as it can possibly be. So that's my big point is don't hesitate to talk to us. We're here for you. And you guys have seen it all. I know that I've talked to a few gynecologists throughout the course of season one of this podcast. And one of them was a male doctor. And he's like, I know that everybody looks at me and says that might be weird, but he's like, it's just my job at the end of the day. So there's nothing off limits that a patient couldn't ask me. And I was like, that is good to know because sometimes we're embarrassed, you know, on the other side of things, but you guys see it all. And it's it's your job at the end of the day. So you're not judging. You're just trying to make everybody feel better. Well, Dr. Andrea Lay's gynecologist at Essentia Health, I can just not thank you enough for talking to me for this podcast because embarrassingly enough before it I had no idea what perimenopause was and now I feel a lot more prepared when that day finally comes and I think a lot of people listening to this will feel the same way so thank you so much once again Dr. Andrea Lays gynecologist at Essentia Health thank you so much for being here well you're very welcome and thanks for having me it's been great thank you and thank you everybody for listening to this special episode of the Real Talk and Women's Health podcast
podcast with Essentia Health.